0: Hey, welcome to our online experience. So glad you can join us here. I just want to remind you, your notes for the message are going to be below on the screen. Also, our announcements are going to be there, so make sure that you check those out. I'm going to pray for us, and we're going to jump right into God's Word. Father, thank you that as your church, whether we're online or in this building, we get to gather and be part of your family. We get to study your Word. We get to listen to your Holy Spirit. So Lord, in these next few moments, I pray that you would quiet the noise that is part of our world, that you would give us ears to hear what it is that you want to speak into us today, that you would give us the wisdom to know and understand your truth, and then the courage to apply it to our lives. So we pray this in your name. Amen. Hey, we're in a brand new series called Questions, and each week over the course of the summer, we're going to be looking at a question out of the Scripture. It might be a question that somebody is asking God, or it might be a question that God is asking somebody. And then we're going to learn the lessons of those throughout the course of this summer. So grab your Bibles, open up to Exodus chapter 4. Exodus is the second book in the Scripture. So open up to Exodus chapter 4, and we're going to start there. So I want to tell you a story before we jump into the scripture. January 12th of 2019, a young gymnast named Caitlin got up on the gym mat and prepared to do a floor exercise that was no longer than two minutes in length and yet became an instant internet sensation. Now... Right now, as of today, that gymnastics has 180 million views almost on YouTube. Now, the gymnastics is dynamic, it's powerful, it's absolutely stunning. But when you watch the video, what captures you is not the gymnastics. It's Caitlin's smile. I mean, literally, it's an infectious smile. And you can tell that this young lady is loving what she's doing all the way through her routine. Now, the story behind that moment that was captured is actually even more amazing. Caitlin started gymnastics when she was just a young girl. And in 2013, she was one of the top female athletes in the world. She had Olympic hopes. She was preparing and training for that. She got injured. Both of her shoulders got injured. She actually fractured her back. And so she stepped away from elite-level competition in 2013, did some physical rehab, got her body back into shape. But at the same time, she was dealing with some emotional struggles because all of her career, she had dealt with body shaming on a serious level. And so she stepped back from competition to heal both physically and emotionally. So when that young woman steps up on the mat, you see this incredibly powerful smile, January 12th of 2019. And in front of her coach, in front of her teammates, in front of her family, and in front of the world, she performed one of the most incredible and dynamic uh, floor routines ever captured on video. What is amazing about that is it takes one minute and 28 seconds for her routine to happen and you're just glued to the screen. About 30 seconds after she finishes her routine, everybody's clapping, giving her hugs and high fives. 30 seconds later, all the judges give her a perfect 10 score. See, Caitlin Ohashi was ready for her moment and she stepped into it and made an incredible thing happen. Now, you and I have had moments in our lives where we look back and we say, that moment really changed the direction of my life. Maybe it has to do with uh, a moment where you finally got up the courage to ask that guy or that girl out on a date. And as you look back, you think to yourself, that's the start of our relationship. And now we're maybe even sitting next to each other watching this online. And you think, yeah, that moment changed our life. Maybe it was that season in high school where it was either athletics or academics or arts that you excelled and it set up that college scholarship for you that launched you into the career you're in right now. Maybe it was that random business contact where uh, it just kind of seemed to happen out of the blue. And all of a sudden, that moment changed a career path for you. And as you look back now, you go, wow, that, that one conversation, that one meeting, that one moment really redirected my entire life. All of us, if we think back, we've got those moments, those specific moments where something shifted for us. Well, those moments are not just physical moments like something happened in our life changed. They're also spiritual moments. And the scripture talks about there's times where God is going to call us or invite us into one of his holy moments to involve us in his plan to change this world. Now, for some of us, that might be as simple as being impressed to call somebody or text somebody that we haven't heard from in a little while. Maybe it's a good friend and they've just kind of gone silent and we are obedient to that spirit's impression on our lives. And we send that text or we make that call and we find out how desperate or how lonely or how struggling that person was in that moment. That's a spiritual holy moment. Maybe it's where we have a conversation with someone that we've been struggling with and it's a conversation about forgiveness. And God takes the courage that we step into that moment with and changes the relationship dynamic that we had. Maybe it's more than that. Maybe it's volunteering perhaps at a not-for-profit and giving time out of the busyness of your schedule and in so doing, you meet somebody and you have a conversation and it changes that person's life there are holy moments as well as physical moments that change the direction of our lives. And yet I know and many of us know that there are times where God's invited us into one of those holy moments and we're like, yes, God, I'm in. Pick me. I'm all there. But there's also times, church, where God's invited us into one of those holy moments and the response is, I I can't do that, God. I'm afraid or I'm uncertain or I'm not prepared or I don't think I'm the right person to step into that moment. So how do we live, church, in such a way where when God invites us into one of those holy moments, our response is, yes, Lord, I'm ready. Let's go. Well, I want us to look at the story of Moses, and it's in Exodus chapter 4, where we're going to pick up reading this morning but we're actually picking up in kind of the, the second two-thirds of Moses' life. So before we jump in the story, I want to back up and I want to give us some context for what we're reading. Because when we start reading in Exodus 4, Moses is 80 years old. And he's had like two separate 40-year periods that are completely different. So if you're familiar with the story of Moses, you'll remember this. If you're not, uh, you'll pick up kind of where we are and what the context is. So Moses was born as a slave. He was born as an Egyptian slave to a Jewish family in about 1600 B.C., the Egyptians are one of the most powerful nations in the world at this point, And they had enslaved the Jewish nation and made them their workers. There's about two and a half million Jews. And so as part of the population control, the Pharaoh says, I'm going to kill every male child that is born as a way to stop the nation of Israel from growing and maintain his power over these slaves. Well, Moses' mom has tremendous courage and faith, and when Moses is born, she hides him for about three months. Now, I want you to capture this moment here. Don't miss this moment. It's really powerful. At the moment when Pharaoh's cruelty reaches new heights, I'm going to kill every male child, God brings about the one who's going to deliver the nation from slavery in the birth of Moses. At the very moment where Pharaoh becomes the most cruel, God steps in and brings about the birth of Moses, who he's going to use to deliver the people to freedom. So Moses' mom uh, hides him for about three months. And after three months, she can no longer hide Moses. And so she makes this little basket and sets it out on the Nile River. And in God's providence, the daughter of Pharaoh is out bathing in the Nile at that moment, sees the basket, sends one of her servants to get it. Moses, who is a Jewish slave in the land of Egypt, ultimately gets adopted by Pharaoh's daughter and becomes a prince. So for the next 40 years of Moses' life, he's raised as a prince of Egypt. Now you think about that for just a moment. As prince of Egypt, he literally would have had the best education that would have been offered at that time. He would have studied literature. He would have studied architecture. He would have studied leadership. He would have studied military strategy. He literally was being prepared to lead. Now somehow in this 40-year time... Moses realizes that he is not an Egyptian, that he's actually a Jew. We don't know how from the story, but we know that Moses comes to that understanding. And so at one point in time, Moses goes out to see how the Jewish people are being treated. And he sees an Egyptian who's one of the guards, apparently, is mistreating one of these slaves and beating them. Moses steps into that moment and kills the guard and then covers his body. Well, the next day Moses goes out again to see the people and he sees two Jewish guys fighting and he steps in and he goes, hey, hey, you guys need to stop this. And they look at him and go, well, what are you going to do? Are you going to kill us like you killed the Egyptian guard? Now catch the moment that's going on here, church. Moses knows that God's going to use him to deliver the nation. He's 40 years old. He's been trained as a leader. He's been trained in military strategy. He believes it's his time to step in and bring this nation to freedom. But it's not God's time. So Pharaoh finds out about what happened with killing the Egyptian guard, and he goes after Moses to kill Moses at this point in time. So Moses escapes, and he goes kind of across the Sinai Peninsula. And if you're, you're familiar with where Egypt sits and where Israel is, the Sinai Peninsula is kind of like, I guess, to the right-hand side of where Egypt sits. So he crosses the desert, and he ends up in this land called Midian. He meets this girl, and as stories normally go, he gets married, and he has a son named Gershom, which actually means, I am an alien in a foreign land. Now, if you're looking for a name for your son, I would not go there, okay? But Gershom means, I'm an alien in a foreign land. So Moses now is living as an alien in a foreign land, and the next 40-year period of Moses' life, instead of being the prince of Egypt... He's the nomadic shepherd. So Moses becomes a shepherd. He's living in the wilderness out there around Midian. And what happens is 40 years into his time as a shepherd, he's out in the desert, tending the flock. He looks up and he sees a bush that's on fire. Now, to Moses, this would not have been a surprise, right? You're out in the desert. Everything is dry. Something sparked. the Bush caught on fire. So Moses is probably watching this for a little while, and then he starts going, hey, um, that, something about that's not normal. Something about that's not right. And so he looks and he sees, and the bush is burning and the flames are there, but the bush is not getting consumed by the fire. So Moses is curious. He grabs a staff and he walks over towards the bush. And this is where God invites Moses into one of those holy moments. He speaks to Moses beginning in Exodus chapter 3, and he says, Moses, I'm going to use you to rescue my people from slavery in Egypt. Now, catch that moment, church. Forty years, he was prepared to lead. Forty years, he was taught how to be a shepherd. And this is the moment that God says to Moses, I'm going to use you to bring about the freedom of my people. So Moses, of course, responds back to God how many of us would probably have responded, right? Uh, and he goes, um, I got a couple questions. So he asks the first question, and he says, well, God, who am I? In other words, why, why me? Why did you pick me? Now, remember, this is the same Moses, right, who stepped in 40 years earlier and said, I'm the guy, I'm going to bring about freedom. But now, 40 years later, he goes, hey, uh, why me, God? Why are you picking me? What's interesting about God's response to Moses is his response actually has nothing to do with Moses. God doesn't say, well, hey, Moses, you know what? Um, I know you've got leadership skills. Moses, I, I, I know you were trained in, in military tactics. Moses, I I know you were trained as a leader. Moses, I know you know how to resolve conflict. Moses, you got this bag of skills that I want to use. None of that is in God's response to Moses. What God says to Moses is, Moses, you don't have to worry about why I picked you. I'm going to be with you, Moses, and I'm going to give you everything you need. And then he asks God a second question. He goes, well, Okay, uh, you're going to be with me. You're going to give me everything that I need. But um, if they ask me who sent me, what what do you want me to say? So in other words, who are you, God? If I'm going to follow you into this moment, I want to actually know who you are. And so God responds to Moses in Exodus 3 with this statement where he says to Moses, Moses, I am that I am. And we look at that and go... Not really sure what that meant. But in that moment, what God was saying to Moses is, Moses, I'm the all-powerful creator God. I'm the one who made everything that you see. I'm the one that gives life to everything that is on this planet. I am the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob. I am that God who brought about that entire nation of Israel, not just the world, but called out Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob and built that nation of Israel. I'm that God. And then what God continues to do is to say to Moses, hey Moses, here's how this plan is going to roll itself out. First of all, I'm going to send you back to Egypt. You're going to gather together the Jewish elders. Then you're going to go before Pharaoh, and you're going to tell him to let these people go. Then Pharaoh's going to fight you. He's not going to want to do this. He's going to go, nope, not doing it. So then what's going to happen is you're going to go back and forth with these plagues with Pharaoh. And at some point in time, Moses, I'm going to change Pharaoh's heart, and he's going to let you go. And then he says, when you leave as a nation, you're literally going to plunder all the wealth of Egypt and take it with you as you start your journey to make a nation. Now, where we're going to pick up, church, in the story is right at that point in the conversation where God's just laid out this master plan for Moses. And we're going to pick up in chapter 4, verse 1. So grab your copy of God's Word, and let's look there together. So they're now at the burning bush. Moses has asked his two questions. God's answered. And here's the next question that Moses asks. He says, verse 1 of chapter 4, Moses said, What if they don't believe me or listen to me? And they say, The Lord did not appear to you. Then the Lord said to him, what is that in your hand? Now, I want you to circle that question because that's the question that we're living around today is this question of what is that in your hand? So the Lord said to him, What is that in your hand? A staff, he replied. The Lord said, Throw it on the ground. Moses threw it on the ground and it became a snake. And then he ran away from it. Now, imagine you're Moses for just a moment, right? You're in the desert. You see this bush burning. It's not being consumed. You walk up. The God of the universe begins to have a conversation with you. You ask him the question, well, what, what, what if they don't believe me? And he says, hey, what's in your hand? Now this staff, y- you, you know this stick, right? If you're Moses, this is this is your staff. You're a shepherd, this is your staff. There's probably a spot on that staff that is well-worn from every day and every night you're picking it up and putting it down, same spot. Maybe you even carved something into the staff while you were watching the sheep out in the desert. You probably used that same staff to fight off some of the wild animals that are coming in to try to take your sheep away from you. and you're protecting them. You probably used that staff when one of the sheep strayed away and got in a place that you couldn't get to, and you used it to pull that sheep back to safety. You probably, on a windy night, if you're Moses, you would have used that staff to prop up your tent in the crazy wind to keep it off of you. You knew the purpose and intent of that staff. That staff's job was to serve to meet your needs as a shepherd. But catch what God does in this moment, church. In this moment, God changes the purpose of the staff. God asked Moses the question, Hey, Moses, what's in your hand? God took what is ordinary and made it extraordinary. God took what was available and used it in a miraculous way. So let's go back again and look at the rest of this. Look with me at verse 4. It says, Then the Lord said to him, Reach out your hand and take it by the tail. (laughs) <laughs> now, I, I grew up in the woods that are kind of between the Pennsylvania and New Jersey border. My brother and I basically <laughs> grew up hanging out, running around the woods together. And I know enough to know, and if you've grown up in the Central Valley, you know this too, you don't ever grab a snake by the tail. I mean, if you want to die, it go for it, knock yourself out, right? But you don't grab a snake by the tail. You actually grab a snake as close to the head as you can So that little sucker doesn't turn around and bite you and kill you, right? So when God said to Moses, now remember, Moses had run away from this snake. This was not like a little non-poisonous snake. This was some big, mean snake. So Moses, (laughs) who had been in the desert for 40 years, ran away from this thing. God says, turn around, Moses. Grab the snake by its tail. I imagine Moses went, by its what? Right? God said, grab it by its tail. So what had to happen in that moment and catch this church, Moses had to trust the same God that transformed the stick into a snake was the same God that was going to protect him in that moment. So Moses reaches down. He grabs hold of the snake. And then God miraculously turns it back into a staff in his hands. This said the Lord, verse 5, is so that they may believe that the Lord, the God of the fathers, their God of Abraham, God of Isaac, and God of Jacob, has appeared to you. Now, I want you to catch what's going on in this conversation back and forth between God and Moses. Because God starts out saying to Moses, Moses, I'm calling you to partner with me to lead this nation of people to freedom. And Moses goes, hey, I'm not sure I can do that. And then he says, well, God, who are you even to call me to do that very thing? And then, God, what if, what if they don't believe me? So this miracle that God has done by transforming the stick into the snake back into the stick again, God is showing Moses in a real live picture Moses, I can take whatever is in your hand, whatever is ordinary, whatever is available, whatever is close. And Moses, I can take whatever that is, and I can do powerful things with that if you let me. Here's the picture that God was trying to show to Moses Moses, you don't have to be somebody for me to use you to lead my people to freedom. Moses, you're exactly like this stick. If you're available, and if you're willing, I can take you, and I can do amazing things through you for my kingdom and my purpose. Here's the application, church, and I want you to hear this. You and I, we're the stick. We're the stick. See, the lesson of this is that what God is looking for from you and I is for us to be available and for us to be willing to step into that holy moment with him. Did you catch that? You and I are the stick. God is looking for us to be available and willing to step into that holy moment with him. He's the one that does the miracle. It's not about me. It's about him. See, a lot of times I think when when we feel like God's calling us into something, we wonder if we're sufficient enough to get that done. God, can I do that for you? God, I don't know. I don't know if I've got the skill set to do that. God, I'm not sure you picked the right person, right? There's even a point in here where Moses at the end of chapter 4 says to the Lord, God, can you please pick someone else? You ever felt like that? You ever felt like God was calling you into something and you're sitting there going, uh uh, (laughs) right? See, here's the kicker, church. God takes what is available and does something miraculous with it. Our job, my job, your job, is to be available to the cause of Christ when He invites us into a holy moment, say, God, I'm willing. He's the one who does miracles through us. In every story in the Bible, God is the hero. Think about the story of Noah, right? Noah built this huge boat that God told him to, ultimately saved his family through this worldwide flood. But God is the hero of that story. This story with Moses, where Moses is being used to lead the nation of Israel out of Egypt, Moses is not the hero of this story. God is the hero of this story. David and Goliath, right? We love to tell our kids about how David took those five smooth stones and walked out to meet Goliath and swung the sling around his head and shot it and killed Goliath. But God, not David, is the hero of that story. See, sometimes I think we we can kind of get this thing mixed up a little bit and we can get the idea that somehow when God uses us, we're the hero of the story. I want to take you into a passage, you can turn there with me, it's Acts chapter 7, verse 23 and 25. And there was a point in Moses' life where Moses got that a little mixed up. And Moses thought that he was going to be the hero of the rescue story. And in Acts chapter 7, um, Stephen, who is one of the leaders of the early church, is telling this story to a bunch of Jewish leaders, and he's recounting this moment for Moses. And here's what he writes. When Moses was 40 years old, so he's the prince of Egypt at this moment, he decided to visit his fellow Israelites. He saw one of them being mistreated by an Egyptian, so he went to his defense and avenged him by killing the Egyptian. Moses... Catch this, verse 25. Moses thought that, God was u- or thought that his own people would realize God was going to use him to rescue them, but God did not. Our job, church, is the what's in your hand. Our job is to be available and willing when God invites us into a holy moment so that he can work through us. Our job is not to be the hero in the story. You ever stepped in front of God's timing? You ever pulled one of those Moses moments where you go, Hey God, I'm tired of waiting. I'm going to step in front. That's what happened. I know I've done that. So how do we, church, become people who consistently say yes to God when he calls us into these holy moments? Well, if you've got your note sheet, I want you to write this down. There are three things that are critical. So when God calls you, when God calls you and I into one of these holy moments, there's three kind of critical things that we need to understand just based off of this story that we just looked at in Exodus chapter 4. So God's call on your life always involves three things. First one is this, his preparation. God's call always involves his preparation. Second, it always includes his timing. And third, it always includes his power. So when God invites you and I, church, into one of those holy moments and goes, hey, I'm doing something over here. I want to invite you to be a part of this. When God calls you and I into those holy moments, and we're doing what Moses says, I'm not sure, God, I'm not sure, God. When he calls you in, his call always involves his preparation, his timing, and his power. Now, when you look back on the story of Moses, and you look at the preparation and timing of God in this, what you see is that everything that Moses learned in those first 40 years, he used. But it wasn't God's time to bring about redemption for his people. Everything Moses used in the next 40 years, how to be a shepherd, God used that. See, if you were to look at the script of Moses' life at that 40-year point where he stepped in and killed the Egyptian, everything would have pointed towards that's the guy right now who's going to bring about freedom. But God didn't use the prince to bring about a rebellion. God used the shepherd to lead a nation to freedom. Did you catch that? God did not use the prince of Egypt to lead a rebellion. God used a shepherd to lead a nation to freedom. It's all about God's preparation and timing. See, what God knew is that the, the leadership skills that Moses needed to know, they were both physical skills and they were a heart issue. It was both the physical and the spiritual. So in God's timing, God knew when Moses was 40 years old, yes, he's got the leadership, yes, he's got the military, yes, he's got everything that he technically needed, but he didn't have the heart of a shepherd. And in order to lead the nation to freedom, he needs the heart of the shepherd. See, God's timing and my timing are often not the same thing. So God didn't use the prince to lead a rebellion. God used the shepherd to lead a nation to freedom. Here's what this looks like for you and I. Everything in your life, church, everything that goes on, the joys, the pains, the struggles, the heartbreak, the triumphs, the things that we celebrate, the things that we cry about on our own at nighttime that are heavy on our heart, God literally uses all of those things to prepare us for the moments when he calls us to join him. All of those life experiences, all of those moments, God is consistently working through all of those things in your life, in my life, to prepare us. And then in his timing and in his moment, he's going to invite us in to be used in his kingdom. So I want to share a passage of scripture with you. Flip over to the book of Romans, and we're going to look at Romans chapter 8, verse 28. Here's what the scripture says. And we know that in all things, God works for the good of those who love him, who've been called according to his purpose. Literally, what the scripture is saying is that every moment of your life, every situation you walk through, is part of God's preparation for what he's going to call you into. And then we have to trust his timing. Because God's timing and our timing often do not look the same. Now, let's talk for a moment about this lesson out of the passage of Scripture around the idea of not just God's preparation and God's timing, but God's power. See, what Moses did is what many of us do. And when God said, hey, Moses, I'm going to use you for this, Moses goes, "Uh uh-uh, I'm not your guy. But what we forget is that God's been preparing us for these moments the whole time. And what stops us, church, what stopped me and what stops you sometimes is when God invites us into a holy moment, we go, well, God, I'm I'm not ready. I don't know that I can answer those questions that person has. I don't know that I know enough Bible to answer what there are. What if they ask me something I don't know, God? What if, what if we get into something and I begin to feel uncomfortable and what if, God, what, what if that stuff happens and we back ourselves out because we go, I'm just not prepared and what we forget church? And catch this. You will never be a hundred percent prepared for whatever God calls you into. You will never be 100% prepared for what God calls you into because if you were and I was, we wouldn't need God. The whole point of what the Scripture teaches us is that it is both in and through us that God works. We don't work for him on our own. He works in and through us. So every holy moment that you and I are called into is an opportunity for the power of God to work in and through us. Now, flip over to Second Corinthians chapter 9, and I want us to look together at verse 8. So 2 Corinthians 9, 8, and I want you to circle or highlight some of these. So whatever you've got, grab a pen or grab your highlighter or whatever. 2 Corinthians 9, 8 says this, And God is able to make all grace, circle that, all grace. So God is able to make all grace abound to you so that in all things, circle that, at all times, circle that, having all you need, circle that, you will abound in every good work. We were always designed, church, to work through the power of God in that holy moment. We're always designed that way. From the very beginning of creation, God's been calling his people into these holy moments, right? What's in your hand? I'll use whatever is available and willing for my purpose and my kingdom. So all the way through the scripture and all the way through human history, we have a God who's been calling people into holy moments and has been empowering them for what he's called them to. So remember, you're never 100% ready So here's my challenge to you in this idea of God's power. Jump in. Man, if God's calling you, I'm not talking about like you would like to do something. Now, I I would love to own, earn, own, either way. I would love to own a 2015 uh, Chevy Camaro Z. The Z package, the whole deal. I mean, I want to burn the tires, smoke, billows, everything. I would love to have one of those. So this is not saying to me that I should just jump in, sell my truck, sell everything I have, and buy one of those. No, no, no. This is a God moment. Okay? You with me? So if God is calling you into a moment, jump in. You can rely on his preparation. You can rely on his timing. And you can move inside of his power. You're never going to be 100% ready. But God is faithfully going to guide you through whatever he's calling you into. Now, the situations inside of uh, Caitlin's life that led her to walk out onto that gym mat, she was ready. All those challenges, all those situations that she had been through, in one minute and 28 seconds, she performed an almost flawless performance. And when she walked out there, she was ready for her big moment. So here's my question, church. Are you ready? Are you ready for that moment when God's going to invite you in and say, I've got a plan for you. I've got a purpose for you. I'm calling you to step into this moment with me. Are you ready? Here's my challenge from this teaching today, okay? Lean into the preparation everything you're going through, God is using to prepare you for that moment. Lean into the preparation. Trust the timing. A perfect God has perfect timing and perfect will. Trust the timing and then move in his power. It's not about what you and I bring to the table. It's about being willing and available to let God use us in that moment. Hey, blessings, everybody. Thank you for joining us online for this service. Uh, I just want to say this week, practice those things. Let's work together to be ready for God's holy moments and then move as God's church for what he's calling us to. Blessings, everybody.